You're going to crack the whip, Jared? And we're live. Uh, I don't believe in whipping. It's not polite. Besides, <laughs> I didn't get consent first, so we're just going to have to pay extra, can I get the All whipping? Right. If I, yes, if I put money into a, the money, give me a coffee, rating. can I get the whipping? Just for you, we'll yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, you get the joy of proof of life. It's a quarterly thing. We get like four times a year. Nick comes on and graces us with his presence. If his job allows him, sometimes they call him back early, but we'll take what we can get. Uh, yeah, hopefully. How's that uh, OnlyFans like treating you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's making me a crypto millionaire. Shut up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of jealous. Is it the feet pics or the art that's doing it for you? No, it's it's still strict to the art. I got I think I have like one follower. <laughs> and it's a free page All too. Right, so. So- because I thought it was like uh, Patreon, and it was in the beginning until the spicy accountants got involved. Until like five <laughs> seconds later. Got it. And then it's a whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, family friendly. Fairly friendly. So, uh, Miss G.S. Jensen is our guest today. Can you please introduce yourself to our viewers and listeners? Um, absolutely. My name, my name is G.S. Jensen. Yes, it is a pen name. No, you don't, don't get to know what it stands for. Um <laughs> A little bit about me. I have in my life been, in no particular order, a corporate attorney, a software developer, um, a legal editor, a fiction editor, a web content provider, and now finally a writer. Um, While I am older than I will ever willingly admit, I'm not sure I'm actually old enough to have done all of those things. So I have to have, I figure I have to have invented a time machine at some point along the way. Or uh, maybe picked up a time turner when I went to Hogwarts before I went to law school. At least that is my backstory, and that is what I'm sticking with. Um, so, yeah, I have worn a lot of different hats in my life along the way. But um, I think I will be writing science fiction for the rest of it because this profession rocks. Uh, well, we are time machine. I'm sorry? And you got a time machine. So. And I got a time machine out of the deal, yes. I have is not it a TARDIS? Yet it sounds like it's a TARDIS. Go. I haven't yet figured out how to make it go forward, unfortunately, which is actually my fondest dream. So I do got to work on that. Well, we'll get you there. Yeah. So the next part of the introduction Uh, to the listener is how we uh, found them. Uh, I accidentally muted myself like the perfect boomer I am. Uh, So we actually found um, GS Jensen through a mutual friend of the show, Katie Cross. And so, uh, we'd like to ask you instead how you met the great, the wonderful Katie. Isn't she just fantastic? So, send my time machine back to 2014. We were both baby writers just about to publish our first books. And we met on her blog. I made some comments. We talked back and forth. You know, it happens. No big deal. Flash forward a couple of months. We have both managed to publish those books. Both of us had more success than we had any right to. And she is moving to Colorado Springs, which is where I was living. So she reached out to me and asked for some advice and recommendations and that type of thing. 
Um, then she decided to pick up the audiobook of Starshine, which was my first book, to listen to on the drive from, I think it was North Carolina to Colorado. <clears throat> That's a long drive. I've done yes, that drive. Yes, it is. It is. Kansas alone is just, yeah. Um, well, and so flat. So in, endless. You can, you can literally stand there and look at the horizon, and it is so flat that you can see the curve of the earth. It is freaky. It, it, it made an impression on me too. Um, so then though, the cool thing was she then live tweeted her listening to the audiobook for the entirety of the interminable two day drive across the country to Colorado. And like I said, I was still brand new at this. Um, and it was really the first real fan event thing that had happened to me so far. And I thought it was so cool. I was sitting there on Twitter, transfixed, waiting for her, the next thing that she was going to tweet. You know, I, oh, I know what comes in the next chapter. How is she going to react to that? Um, and it was just, it was the first awesome thing, awesome public thing that I guess had happened to me as a writer. And so then, of course, you got to Colorado Springs. We met, had dinner, and became great real-life friends. Wonderful. I love stories like that. Yeah. yeah. So all right so sorry about that i had to mute to get the dog to stop barking i didn't think you wanted to hear elvis being elvis uh, uh, it can be a turd sometimes all right so now for the religion question i don't normally get to ask these because doc is mean but the adjustment bureau doors are portals stargate or buck rogers in the 21st century and if you get to guess what the theme is you get bonus points the theme is jr finally figured out how to ask the question <laughs> If you had asked me that question uh, undisclosed number of decades ago, it absolutely would have been Buck Rogers. I was a huge Buck Rogers fan as a kid. Um, Aaron Gray was my hero. Tweaky was awesome. I, I didn't know enough to know that it was dumb and ridiculous and absurd and everything. And I loved it. Um, I, I really did. Um, have you seen the Buck Rogers RPG? No, I have not. Oh, it's uh, so much fun. They did an RPG. It was based off of the first gen D and D roles. Wow! I imagine my husband is getting ready to text me right now, saying he played it because he has played every single RPG computer game that has well, ever if, been. If you like get RPGs and to watch it, yeah. go check out uh, Conda Couch on YouTube. They did uh, some videos of the RP yeah. of people playing it, and I will admit, motivated self interest. I was in some of them. It was a lot oh, of fun. Oh, that is fun! But my actual answer is Stargate, of course. Um, I, I love what they did with, um, you know, taking us as we are now, you know, it's basically mm -hmm. present day. And when you introduce alien tech and alien worlds and aliens and, you know, obviously how we deal with that is a pretty common theme in sci-fi, but also how it slowly transforms our technology and our advancement. Um, you know, it was a really interesting thread. So in case anybody listening doesn't know, the Adjustment Bureau story is one of Philip K. Dick's craziest creations. So if you're a fan of, of wacky sci-fi that's inspired lots of movies, check out Philip K. Dick. He's, he's an amazing author. And uh, the theme was portal or gate fiction. So I was just trying to theme the, the, the selections. I know Nick's looking at me like nobody cares, but I cared. So there. Uh, and now no, because I'm a huge Philip K. Dick fan. What are you talking about? Come on. <laughs> so because we're polytheistic, we have the wonderful Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and, and kind of for a particular reason. So as we were talking about before we got started, we just moved. Um, we're in Northwest Montana now. And we just moved to this cabin in the woods, um, the ferocious wilds of extreme Northwest Montana. Basically, you know, where Canada is, we're basically there. Um, anyway, though, Sorry. so we're having a doggy door put in for our little munchkins. Um, and because of the layout of the house, it's going in our closet. And then it will lead to the backyard that we just got fenced in. And so we keep talking about our old dogs are going to get a door to Narnia because they have to go through the closet, through the wardrobe, basically outside. Oh, that's so Narnia. cool. That's amazing. We, we got so I have a question. Uh -huh. Do you like Turkish delight? I don't have a strong opinion about that. Okay. Do you? Uh, I I didn't dislike it, but I really didn't like it nearly as much as the that series would let, have led me to believe. That was fair. Yeah, it's a it's acquired as a taste. I really thought it was going more like baklava or something, like a meringue version of baklava. Yeah, no. Afraid not. <laughs> Afraid not. We here at the Blast. Not even place. sure how that would work. Oh, science aliens. We're going to go with aliens. We're going to move on to the next question. <laughs> All right. We here at the Blast of Blades podcast, like both the fantastical and the scientific. Uh, which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? No disrespect to fantasy. I love fantasy. <laughs> I've read hundreds of fantasy books, but it was like always science fiction for me. Yeah. Awesome. It was always science fiction. That's perfect. Uh, mine too. Uh, what's your first memory of engaging in uh, speculative fiction genre? Well, other than Buck Rogers and <laughs> Star Trek, the original series, um, both of which my mother had me watching, like I said, when I was very young. Um, and I don't really know why, because she's not really into sci-fi or tech or anything, or, you know, I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was Kirk um, that got that started, but obviously so childhood, there was stuff like that. But um now, the actual story is, so I was 13 years old, and my French teacher, of all things, um, started this little enrichment program for the gifted students, for lack of a better word, you know, the students who, you know, <clears throat> kind of stood out and expressed interest in other things. And I guess That's my we, must, <laughs> we must have talked enough for him to see, and I'd mentioned that, yeah, I kind of was into space and thought that was kind of cool. And so he lent me his copy of Carl Sagan's Cosmos. Now, no, that's nonfiction, but I devoured it in a couple of days. It was just completely hooked. So then I was like, this Carl Sagan guy is awesome. So then I went to the B. Dalton at the mall and uh, found Contact, which was his science fiction book. Of course, you know, movie, Joey, Jodie Foster, everything. Um, that was actually a heavier read, um, but um, devoured that as well, fell in love and went back to my French teacher and was like, I love this. I need more. Give me science fiction. And he referred me to a uh, foundation by Asagosimov. And that was all she wrote. I, I have been a science fiction nut ever since then. That's awesome. I love that. You know, those are great properties to start with. Totally explains why you're a science fiction nut. Yep. So, so one science fiction nut to another is Pluto a planet. Yes. It Thank is. you. Thank you. Yes. And there has actually been some scholarly discussions and, and the like very recently about expanding the definition of planets 
period, that we're stuck with this very limited definition that really kind of happened by accident within the scientific community. And there's not really that much scientific basis to stick by those parameters. Um, so hopefully they will open it back up very soon and let Pluto back into the club. And hopefully when they do that, when they let Pluto back in past the bouncer, Ceres can come back too. Right. Yeah. I, I think if they do that, so, then the gates are wide open. So uh, my favorite t-shirt that I've seen that was nerdy and funny was, Dear NASA, I was big enough for your mother, signed Pluto. <laughs> Damn, they are. Gina. I lost my drink. Did it go out your nose? It's so much funnier when it No, it did not go out my nose, which is really good because I have nothing. My nose is uh, not happy already. Oh, it'll clear. Right what are you drinking? <laughs> Fluid. Say it. Are you gonna stay hydrated? Hydrated, hydrated. Yeah. Okay. I think what I was drinking was Spindrift. There you go. What is that? It's like a it's carbonated water juice thingy. No alcohol. Are you okay? No, we almost should rename the podcast "Drunkards Talk About Sci-Fi and Fantasy" because come on, we need to get no, a beer. Uh, I, was a, I was gonna start a podcast about five years ago called Whiskey and Comics. I heard that about you guys. So I even poured a glass of wine. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Wine this was is a show where we all cheers. So, to the camera. Okay. Cheers. No, no, no. It's just I needed to, I also needed to, you know, get up in the morning. Oh, yeah. It's your, today's an actual Thursday for you. It's my Friday. Well, uh, that in, uh, that in, I really, really had like a craving for soda. Which kind? So. I know it's not on uh, nothing. I just we'll wanted something topic, carbonated. I, I just so wanted something carbonated. So I got my carbonation. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to I'm you trying this whole right. sobriety and dieting kick. Yeah, good luck. So I that. just got plain coffee with no flavor. It's sad. Coffee is a flavor. It's the flavor of soul. It's it's straight up. Just <laughs> I, I like coffee. my coffee with like just style. Yeah, I like my coffee normally with like french vanilla creamer i know eventually when i grow up i'll drink it black but for now but i can't have that because it's okay calories. jr i love sad you but you say that again so let's get on back on sci-fi because that's not sad away. let's get on sci-fi before we listen to the, the <laughs> coffee rants from the weirdos they really are way too into their coffee all right well all right so it's my question if you don't say it i'll steal the question no, i know you would too you're a question thief what do you love the most about speculative fiction as genre so I am a futurist and a tech geek and an optimist. So I love the possibilities. I love the idea that we can do better. We can be better. We can go incredible places. We can get off this planet and actually see the wonders out there and not just through Hubble. Um, I love the idea that we can one day affect the cosmos, um, that we can change ourselves for the better. And, you know, obviously, I know that's fraught with danger. You know, we can also change ourselves to the worst. Hopefully we won't. But um, but I prefer to focus on the possibility that um, that we will for the better. That's awesome. Well, I think I think we've all I think humanity's come a long way. We still have a yes. good way to go. But we've got if you're a stu student of history, JR, don't get too geeky on this. If you're a student of history. You'll realize we've come a long way from where we were. An incredible amount. of Yes. And so we are going to hopefully the curve looks like this. 
Yes, the curve looks yeah. like this, and hopefully we don't do anything too stupid gone the way. If the learning curve so was a stock I, configuration, we'd all be rich. Right. Because we went That's from we went from when were the Wright brothers? 1906, 19, like 16, 19. Yeah. I don't know. Dare was around for that. I'm older than I was, true story. Than my co-host, but I was there. I was a I was a corporal at the time. Um <laughs> but within 50 years, we went from glider flight to putting a man on the moon. Yes. So, so, so yeah, of, I mean, we're, of the history we're awesome. of, So let's dive into that history of, because in addition to being a history major, I also studied sociology. Oh, God, so no, 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 just, just, just give me, just trust me just a little bit. Let's hold the trust stick. So, uh, one of the things no. that they feel like that society ch changed for the worse was when we lost the, the ability to expand westward because we settled the globe essentially. And so there is a theory <laughs> that feels dirty. There is a, feel, a theory that the a space race will give us a new uh, escape valve for humanity that will ease off some of the tension we're seeing globally. So, do you think Daddy Elon Musk is going to give us that escape valve and a colony on Mars? I think he absolutely is. Yes. Um, I have not heard that theory before, but it's, it's a reasonable one um, that or the, if not the tension, at least that maybe we stagnated at that point. Um, we do yeah. need new frontiers. Well, we well, I think humanity to, to chase. And I think we are, you know, I think NASA will get us in blue origin, will get us to the moon and, and SpaceX will help with that. But obviously Elon's focus is lasered on Mars. Um, well, I think we all do. I think humanity tends to do really well with a competition. Uh-huh. Also. Of sorts. And a goal. Hum human creatures are very goal-driven. Purpose. Purpose-driven creatures, yes. yes. I like space. Right, if if I make I millions of dollars, I'm doing CX. You guys can go into outer space. I'm going to explore inner space. The ocean, <laughs> baby. Like the ocean. All right, I, I dabble in writing stuff. Save us from ourselves. Anyways. Oh, oh. So, you know how now bad we, it is when I'm the voice of reason? Now oh. that we know that Nick wants to plumb the depths of the oceans, so... And my soul. And you, what? And my soul. The depths of my soul. You don't have a soul. Um, so it's in there. You just how did your look. love of speculative fiction translate into you writing stories in it? Slowly at first, and then all at once. Um, <laughs> so um, exponential um, growth again, right? Um, it actually has kind of ended up that way. Um, now there was a brief foray into it. So I was in college, um, and I was taking an advanced level English and writing course, and we had to do a big portfolio on a topic. And I chose environmentalism. This was the early '90s. There was Al Gore and the ozone hole, and you know it was all a big thing. And we had to do a research paper and a real life study and interviews and that type of thing. And we also had to write a short story. So I wrote a post-apocalyptic short story. Um, looking back, it, it's actually pretty similar to Hugh Howey's Wolf series, though that wasn't published yet then. Um, Post-apocalypse, everybody's living underground. Um, and the main character is a man who has to tend to the pipes and that kind of thing. Um, so the air keeps flowing in. And his girlfriend basically goes crazy from having to live underground all the time. And she escapes to the surface just to breathe the free air. And he goes after her and holds her in his arms as she dies. 
I guess he wore a gas mask and she didn't or something. Um, anyway, my professor loved it and said that I needed to be a writer. My parents said that I needed to see therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was so depressing. And, and, and every which is funny because ever. I do not write dystopia or nihilistic stuff at all. I've never, again, written anything like that that was so dark and depressing. But that's what it was at the time. Anyway. Um, so, but then I became a lawyer and that kind of sucked all of the joy out of my life. I quit reading. I definitely quit writing. I, I, I quit doing anything fun. Um, and then I stopped being a lawyer for obvious reasons. Um, gradually started to bring the fun back into my life again. Um, became a software developer. Coding was the first creative thing that I had done in so, so long. Um, it was actually, you know, creating something new, started playing video games, started going outside and, you know, we'd moved to Colorado. So there were the mountains and eventually I started writing again. Um, and when it came time to write, there was never any question, but that I would write science fiction. Okay. That is a huge from, from literary nerd to lawyer, then to computers and then back to literary nerd. That's a heck of a, a pogo bounce right there going on. I bet you were you're great at pong. Okay. So as a consolation though, lawyers have drank. Yeah, I know it was a pity laugh. My life as well. <laughs> so I'm glad you're out of that <laughs> that, okay. that that career field. Gentlemen. All right, fandom questions, Doc. Lady. Okay, so transitioning to the fan stuff. Um, actually, I did want to ask, did, did your time as a software developer, as a lawyer, influence some of your writing? Not any specific, you know, events or circumstances, except that I did get to meet a lot of people, um, a lot of different people. And so I said I was a corporate lawyer. We did stock offerings, mergers, acquisitions, that type of thing. I spent a lot of time at quietly sitting at tables where dynamic personalities were, you know, stealing oh, the thunder cool. and putting on huge performances. That's a nice way of putting it. Right? Uh, Wait, that's great because it gives you a lot to pull from uh, in the way of characters. And, and sometimes you're like, no, that uh, there wouldn't be a person like that, and then you're like, right. oh, no, nobody would actually do that, but actually they would because I had seen it. Yes, so hopefully that does help some of my characters be more realistic and dynamic and and that type of thing. I love okay. that you found a really polite way to um, describe narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah. Well, I tried, I did. So, so I do have a question. Have you ever had? Uh, characters that were inspired by situations you really experienced and then readers write you and like, there's no way that would really happen. Nobody's like that. And you're thinking, well, actually, Bob, you know, has you that know, ever happened where they called you on it and it was real? Not that anybody has called me on it, but certainly while I have been writing at times, particularly when writing, you know, villains, bad guys, or, or just the incompetent, especially the incompetent, in fact, I'll, I will pause and go, is this really realistic? I mean, any normal human being, they wouldn't think this way, that they would realize what they were doing or what was going on and that type of thing. Um, and then I just have to turn on the news. And I'm like, oh, no. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Never turn on the news. Never do that. Okay. 
So, but getting into some of the fan stuff. So, have you had any really cool fan art ever come up, or somebody cosplay one of your characters? No cosplay yet. But um, I, so I, I prepped for this question. I don't know if this is going to show up or not. There's going to be glary. Kind of. It is a little glary. Yeah. But I bet. I bet if you. If you Put it in your people? newsletter. Oh, maybe right. fans would sign yeah, up. Just can't see it. that at all. All right. Um, yes, I will um, send you guys a link to where they can see those. So yeah, I've had three or four drawings and, and art in all different styles um, of my main character, so, Alex. In, yeah. Instead of because uh, this is what we normally do. Doc was trying to steal my thunder as usual. She's mean to me that way. It's okay. We like it, right, Nick? But uh, if you put it in your next month's newsletter, so this is no December, I'll so in January, sure, why newsletter. Not? <laughs> if you put it in January's newsletter, we'll throw a sign up to your newsletter and then you get a two for one special. They get to look That's at something fantastic. cool. And you get, you get right. We're a full service shop here at the Blush and Bleed podcast. <laughs> Excellent. We pride ourselves on it. Well, we're going to pride ourselves. All right, Doc, get us back on track. <laughs> so, has anybody asked for your autograph out in public? No one has recognized me in a like in the grocery store and walked up or anything. Um, but I did uh, several years ago. I got an email from a reader, um, and you know the, the usual of your books and everything. And you know, hey, I know you said that you live in Colorado Springs. I also live in Colorado Springs. In which I go, uh oh, oh no. <laughs> Where do you live in Colorado Springs? And, and she managed to finagle out it out of me. And turns out she literally lived ten minutes from me. Wow. Oh, wow. So I'm like, you know, okay, let's meet for lunch. I'm going to bring my husband because you really do never know about oh, yeah, we'll never know. the internet, obviously. Um, but it turned out she's this wonderfully sweet lady, um, lifelong science fiction reader, you know, really intelligent, had all this knowledge about all these types of things. And she is really super. And <laughs> so ever since then, every time after one of a book came out, then we would meet for lunch and I would sign her paperback copy and we would talk about that book. That's awesome. Um, uh, as recently as That's a couple awesome. of months ago, right before I moved. I'm sorry, I won't get to do that for the next book now that I'm two states away. But You could always road trip it, make it a tradition. It's a oh, long so drive. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Kansas long, but it's a long drive. It, it is from the border. So, I mean, you, you did a bit of yeah. that. So, um, have you had any really fun, cool fan interaction that you want to tell tell us about? Like a neat story? Um, fun story or weird story? We either, either when you feel more comfortable sharing. <laughs> or both. Or, or both. Um, no, so my husband had a funny thing. Um, he was in the airport. He was on his way to Singapore. Um, he used to be an electrical engineering manager, and he would stand up manufacturing facilities around the world. Um, so he's in the airport, and he sees a woman waiting at a gate as he's going by, and she is actually reading my first book in paperback. So that was the first time that had ever happened. And so he's a really gregarious, friendly guy. So he walks up, yeah, hey, are you enjoying that book? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> really, that's great. You know, my wife wrote that book, you know, and she's like, oh, you know, you, you, that you're so full of crap. Are you trying to hit on me or what? You know, uh, what is this? Um, Normally, men don't bring up their wives when they're. 
Some Give people. Although if they're really smooth, that's, you know, yeah, that's the way in. But um, so he had to get her to turn to the back of the book where there's a picture of me, you know, in my about the author and then pull out his phone and find a picture of him and I together and show it to her and let you know, yes, this is really my wife. And she really did write this book. <laughs> so I was glad I wasn't there for that, I think. Um, <laughs> But possibly the weirdest, most, uh, you know, so am I comfortable telling this? Not really, but I will keep it PG. Um, so in Starshine, there is a sex scene. It's not porn, but it's also not fade to black. Um, you know, and it's a payoff very late in the book and everything. And it's pretty long. Uh, I'll admit that. Um, so I got a reader email, you know, love the book. Here's all the reasons why and the characters and blah, 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 blah. You know, but the best part of it probably had to be the sex scene. Like, so I loved it so much that I was laying, laying in bed reading it and I had to wake my wife up and read the sex scenes to her in bed. <laughs> that dude broke the code. Kay? That's great. Bye. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, your, your readers come to you as they are. Um, but there should, I am kind of the opinion that there should be a, a, an additional wall when it comes to intimate details. Um, yes, they're in the book. So in that respect, I need to be willing to talk about them, but maybe we could leave them on the page. Well, I, they can be tricky to talk about. Yeah. You got to deal with them in a very classy way when talking about them. I, yeah, it's not I, penthouse I, letters, but, you know. Exactly. <laughs> That's a whole so subgenre right there. After my experience with that, I don't write those kinds of scenes anymore because it was embarrassing. Really, JR? Aren't you, aren't you currently getting paid to write that stuff? We're not supposed to talk about that. It's a ghostwriting gig. It's not the real gig. <laughs> I had uh, my mom is my first line fader reader. So when gotta, she sent me, gotta I don't pay know the bills, she... JR. Gotta pay the oh, bills. Okay. <laughs> JR, since you said that, I do actually have a follow on related story. Um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, my father, lifelong reader, not a science fiction fan. He reads westerns and biographies and that type of thing, but huge, huge reader. Secretly, always wanted to be a writer, I think. Because uh, he because he told me, um, so I was writing my first book, and this is all very exciting. Um, and when it was um, just about ready, I went home for Thanksgiving and left him a physical copy and a binder of it. And so when we got to the chapter with the scene in it, I, I wrote in big red letters, you know, this scene has carnal relations in it. Do not read it. Skip ahead to the next chapter and you won't miss any major plot points, please. So I left it with him, went back home to Colorado, weeks go by, sends me, you know, sends me an email, finished the book, loved it, but, you know, blah, blah, about the characters. So then went back early the next year for a family gathering. I mean, it was a big birthday thing. And so we're having dinner with the entire extended family his sisters, their kids, my cousins, all of that. And of course, they're all asking about the book, you know, because that's the new exciting thing in the family. And um, my aunt, his sister is, you know, specifically asking a bunch of questions about it. And then he up and, you know, at the whole table says, you know, and you wouldn't believe it. She wrote the hottest sex scene ever. You have to read it. 
Awesome. Dad, you weren't supposed to read that. I specifically told you not to read that scene. So what? Big red letters. How could I not read it? Sounds like my kind of people. Yeah, my reaction was the opposite. My mom sent it back. She said, I don't know what you and your wife are doing, but practice and then rewrite this scene. And that was the end. No oh, more. You got six critiques by your mom. I know. And then people will You're never living that down. I bring that up every episode from here on out. It's okay. I get people that ask me to write certain genres of niche um, adult content. And I'm like, my mom is my first line reader. No, 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 no. <laughs> and then we will move on. So <laughs> I, I had a letterer back out of my comic book because there was, he called it pornography. And I was, first I was confused. I'm like, it's. It's Cool Hand Luke in space. How there, there's one human character and he's male. What's going on here? So I look at it, and it's a scene where the the main character is having a PTSD moment. Just happens while he's showering, and everything was tastefully drawn. You know, all the the, the wedding tackle was covered with suds and soap. You know, and I was like, man, this this is crazy. Why would you? People are that? weird. What can I say? And I'm all like, right. okay, fine. Moving on, I'll just do it myself. I'm sorry that you were offended, and uh, probably should seek counseling because. No. All right, so this is the part uh, JS Jenison where we talk about everything you have written. So, can you give us the Reader's Digest Every, uh, highlights every, of your body of work? Everything. I will, but everybody watching needs to promise not to get intimidated. You can just start at the beginning, and each book leads to the next, and it will all make sense. Okay. So with that, Deal. I <laughs> the, it sounds um, like my dance teacher. Just follow the dancing butt. <laughs> I so, love that there was a disclaimer. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but the Amaranth universe consists, as of today, of 17 books and 10 short stories. Um, oh. The books are organized into trilogies that are mostly sequential. Um, Aurora Rising is the first trilogy. Then you get Aurora Renegades. Then Aurora Resonant. And those nine books are affectionately referred to collectively as Aurora Rhapsody. There's a lot of musical themes in the books. So there you I go. Did it. Um, then I jumped off to a new setting with new characters within the same universe um, for a trilogy called Asteria Noir. And people can start there instead if they want, um, especially if they like a little more cyberpunk um, and grittiness um, in their books. But then, because I am a total glutton for punishment, I decided I had to bring the two storylines and settings together for an epic intergalactic smackdown series called Riven Worlds. Um, that, and also, I fibbed a little bit at the beginning of this. Riven Worlds is not a trilogy. It is six books. But by the time you get to that point, you won't care. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so I just published book four of six of Riven Worlds in October. That, that's where all we right. are. <clears throat> so those all sound fascinating, uh, but since it's the same universe, we're going to start with book one because that's yes. as you do, uh, it's, which is Star Sign, Aurora Rising, uh, which is the first book in the Amaranth series. Is that how you yes. pronounce it? Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea for the series? Was it psychedelics, your Ouija board, too much Thanksgiving turkey? Yeah. So when I decided that's I was awesome. going to try this writing thing for real, um, my own world, you know, my, my own story and characters and everything. Um, I then promptly spent a lot of time staring off into space, glaring at the screen, beating myself in the forehead. Think, 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 what the heck are you going to write? 
<clears throat> but then like a gift from the heavens above, I was in the shower one morning because you know, shower is where you get 70% of all your great ideas. Um, I actually have these wonderful waterproof notepads that stick on the wall in my shower with a waterproof pencil. They're called Aquanotes. Yep. <laughs> Saved my butt so many times over writing these series. Um, I did have them then, though. But anyway, so this Aquanotes, A-Q-U-A. Yep. We're all writing this down. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> right? that. Um, so this image of a woman just popped into my head. She had dark red hair, was pulled back in a ponytail, and she was hanging upside down out of the hull of a small starship in a hangar bay. She had virtual screens spinning around her and everything. Um, the ship was, of course, beautiful with these sleek silver lines and everything. Um, she was obviously working on the ship, and I had the immediate sense that it was her ship. So I was like, that's a great image. What does it mean? And I spent the next couple of weeks asking, who is she? Where is she? When is she? What brought her to this point? And most importantly, how is she going to change the world? Some deep questions. We like yeah. it. Yes. I like it. Uh, speaking yes. of deep, we're going to dive off the deep end and take a look at her sexy cover art. And then Nick, being the uh, artsy, fartsy person that he is, is going to talk about it too, because that's what we brought him on for, his artistic genius. Aww. Yeah, don't wear your keep. <laughs> All right, so this is the cover. Ooh, I like it. So what's the story of this uh, cover art? How did you come up with this? Well, I mean, the story of all my covered art is me loving space art. Um, even long before I was writing, I mean, I was a nut for DeviantArt and ArtStation, and I've collected thousands of pieces of space art. Um, and then I needed covers, so acting these artists. Um, this one is a one-off. I don't even know this person's real name. Their moniker is Diverse Pixels. Um, and they were kind enough to give me a license to use this photo. Um, it, um, it was originally different colors. I changed the colors because I'm a huge fan of blue. And so this is actually the third cover that Starshine has had, interestingly enough. The first one I did myself because I was too poor to buy any. And then I had a second one, which was much better. But then I came across this piece and I had to make the change one more time. Um, and it was in connection with me doing a hardback of the Starshine, of Starshine. So <clears throat> that was a good excuse. But um, a, a lot of my covers are done by a guy named Joseph Barton, a.k.a. Joey Jazz. He is an incredible um, space artist. There are three or four others that I have that I've used multiple times. Um, usually I... I don't commission custom work. I find a piece that I love that I think, you know, fits a book or that I know will fit a future book and I will acquire a license for it. And then I'll usually screw around with it a little bit. Um, I am an avowed Photoshop amateur. Um, I love playing with it. I can change things, add things, subtract things, mess with the colors, you know, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately I cannot actually create the base art myself. I, I so wish I could. Well, it looks amazing. Nick, do you want to weigh in? You're our resident. Oh, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's um, it's a visually striking piece. Uh, so good find on that one. Thank you. Um, I like that. Just like the way the star, the starships or spacecraft is actually rising. It definitely fits, you know, the, the, the lettering on their Aurora rising. So um, the cool colors, like good the choice. Fun. Really like the, the font's really cool. Yeah, it's it's a great piece. Uh, it's something I would definitely hang on my wall. 
Thank you. Um, I use the font for everything in the series. Yep, yeah, it's, it's my branding, so get used to it. That's oh, really cool. Even, I like even all the planets. The I'm sorry. Well, no, I don't use it for the text in the books, <laughs> but for all of the all of the covers and the and the the headers and all of that. Type of thing. Even in the book, I Jared, you Brussels sprout. <laughs> I'm a potato. All right. So, Doc, next question is you. What is the 30 second elevator pitch for Starshine? Okay, because I am terrible at improv and and it also Perfect. actual real life social encounters i'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and read a little bit um, that is actually a very common response we get okay. i'm just going to read it off the back of the book if somebody actually called me in an elevator and asked me that question you know i might just completely freeze but <laughs> total deer in headlights yeah i've been there <laughs> yeah. so starshine is set 300 years in the future which I figured was enough time for us to work out solutions to the hard problems of space travel. We've got faster than light drives, artificial gravity, gene therapy, advanced cybernetics. We've colonized over a hundred worlds and our little corner of the galaxy. The Earth Alliance is the dominant government, but there's also a scrappy Senate Confederation who 25 years before the start of the book fought a war for its independence and won. The Earth Alliance is still not happy about that. But despite all these technological advances, we're still people, stubborn, selfish, short-sighted, occasionally downright evil. Also amazing, driven, clever, generous, kind, and occasionally downright heroic. So the struggle between our better and worse natures is a theme that runs through all of the action, adventures, excitement, and drama in the book, of which there is plenty. Um, and at the end of the day, I hope it presents an optimistic vision that dares to believe humanity will prove to be both stronger and better than we believe ourselves to be. There, well, there you go. I think it sounds like a fun book. Well, thank you. I hope so. Um, <laughs> so Jared loves to ask, but I'll, uh, he make, loves to make me ask about the next two questions. So what is it that really differentiates the Aurora universe from other sci-fi universes? My readers would probably say the characters. They'd also then say the amazing alien worlds and cool tech that they all wish they had right now. But I think they would mostly say the characters. And also maybe the fact that it's a deep, complex, interwoven story that spans families and generations and governments and galaxies and is full of twists and turns that somehow always ends up coming together in really compelling ways that sticks with you long after you turn the last page. But I, I think that that's still because of the characters that, you know, made that story happen. So I, I love the characters because, to be honest, otherwise, if you don't have good characters, otherwise, you're just reading a tech manual. Yeah. So, and, um, but what tropes do you think Starshine, Aurora Rising really hits best? Because we love the Tropalicious. <laughs> the what? The Tropalicious. Tropalicious. Um, it's not a real world. It's not. It is two all, words. All words. All words are made up. It's been in print. It's been in print. Tropalicious. I mean, I put it in print, but it's still in print. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think the heroic ones. You know, characters that say, "Screw the rules, screw the bureaucracy, screw surviving. I am going to find a way to save the day." 
I'll admit that my characters do tend to save the day, um, you know, maybe in occasionally almost superhuman ways. But that's why we're reading. I mean, we're one of, we're reading to see characters do things that we would love to do but can't. Um, so I don't have any problem, you know, imbuing slightly human superhuman characteristics into some of my characters. Um, I think sometimes that's great because it gives us. Whether we realize it or not, particularly for young readers, it gives them something to aspire to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you will certainly find many tech gadgets, all of the cool tech things that sci-fi fans love in my books. Whiz bang, you know, gee whiz stuff mm -hmm. that does really cool things as well. I certainly love writing about that as well. Um, shiny spaceships, lots and lots of lasers, big space battles. You know, all, all, all of that is there in spades too. Nice. Okay. Awesome. Oh, wait. Doc? Yes? 20, 23 is you. No way. Uh, so, okay. So, can you tell us some about the main character of this book? <laughs> Sorry. No. Oh, hold on. We're going to back that up so it, it flows a little <laughs> better. Doc has been on the, the mommy juice for a little bit. So, uh, what subgenres do you think this fits into besides the, the obvious sci-fi with that glorious cover? <sighs> Oh, that's funny. Um, space opera is my fallback, and that's just what I say. Um, also, action and adventure. But cyberpunk, military sci-fi, techno thrillers uh, all make appearances. Um, honestly, writing in a single subgenre would mean that there were rules that I was supposed to follow, and that wasn't really my game <laughs> plan. Um, I quit being a lawyer for a reason. Well, lots of reasons. Too many rules. But that's but that's a boring story. But it definitely one of the reasons was so I didn't have to follow the arcane rules any longer. Um, so I have never really felt that constrained by boundaries. Um, I try to turn a melting pot of all of those subgenres into a coherent, powerful story by wrapping it in kick-ass characters, as we were talking about. Um, and I've honestly, I don't think I've ever had a reader complain that, you know, that the books couldn't decide what they wanted to be or anything like okay. that. Um, I, I, I think that they speak with a strong enough voice that that's not really an issue. So when you talk about writing military, the military side, do you have a preference of writing the ground troops or the, the space ship to ship action? I probably prefer the space ship to ship action because lasers you know, yes. lasers in space, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and spaceships in space, certainly. Um, working out the logistics of hand-to-hand -hand combat is, you know, definitely a challenge. I mean, I did do martial arts while I was in law school, but I wasn't very good at it. Um, and, and so, you know, you see me in the middle of the room standing there going, you know, do you grab them like this? And if they have the head, that's, um, that is a challenge. Um, and those scenes are always a slog to get through. I will be honest with that. So when you go to writing the space combat, do you prefer like uh, ship of the line against ship of the line or space fighters uh, like Star Wars is famous for? Do you have a preference of style of ship that go head to head or do you mix it up? I do mix it up. I mean, one of the main characters, you know, two of them really are, um, you know, important in the military. So they're on dreadnoughts or cruisers. And so there are always scenes from their perspective. But then I have a fighter pilot who is one of the major characters. And so you've always got to jump to her as well and get that sort of, you know, on, in the in the seat, you know, almost, you know, on the figurative ground perspective as well. I, um, I definitely try and mix it up and present a battle from a bunch of different perspectives. 
So, well, then you'll be happy to hear that uh, Nick hasn't told anybody this yet, but he actually just came into a lot of money and he commissioned Elon Musk to build him a functional X-Wing. So you might get to take a test pilot someday. It was an A-Wing, but whatever. (laughs) Tomato, tomato. All right, Doc, now you can talk to her about the the characters. Well, you know, poor Nick, he's having a problem over there. Um, Trying to figure out where he went wrong in rearing you on your Star Wars. But uh, can you tell us some about your main, your main character? Um, I don't think it went wrong anywhere, to be honest. <laughs> um, Alex Olivey, Alexis, but she goes by Alex, um, is a space explorer and a freelance scout. But I like to refer to her as a recalcitrant wanderer. Um, she is not your standard heroine uh, of any genre. She, she's painfully independent, emotionally guarded, somewhat caustic, slow to trust, um, has a mouth on her, curses like a drunken Russian sailor in both Russian and English. I feel like I know her. <laughs> um, you are her, Doc. I think Oh, thank you. She is um, she is driven by her love of the stars and the thrill of discovering the unknown and new discoveries. Um, she is extremely stubborn, but um, beneath all that, she struggles with buried grief and anger as well. And mostly, she just she hates bureaucracy. She hates governments. She she hates anyone telling her what to do, um, and just you know ha- has no time for it at all, and has no problem with telling them that. Okay, Nick might be right. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to identify a lot with this character. I haven't even started. The Told you. Told while you. while uh, Doc tries to compose herself, Nick, why don't you ask her about the secondary characters and we can say. I love secondary characters. I, I think they're just as important as the main character. So these are the questions I do love. Uh, That's because you are our secondary character. Uh, we're all Ouch. secondary characters. <laughs> Doc, I don't think hurts. there's a main character. Oh, hush you. <laughs> were there any secondary characters who were um, especially memorable to you? And if so, can you tell us a little bit about them? My readers are going to be laughing right now um, because my books have a lot of characters and not minor throwaway characters either. Many of them started out that way, you know, created them to fulfill a purpose and tried to make them interesting in that purpose. And then they warmed their way into my heart and wouldn't leave. Um, so I, I, my books are infamous for having a lot of characters. Um, I, I should say first off that there that Caleb Morano is nearly as important as Alex to the story. He is a um, intelligence agent for the enemy government, um, a walking weapon who has a wide streak of compassion beneath his deadly skills and an enigmatic smirk. He also has a staunch personal code of honor. When him and Alex meet each other, of course, they immediately try to kill each other. No. Um, But actually, probably, you know, beyond that, the most interesting character is actually Alex's mother, Miriam. Um, She is an admiral in the Earth Alliance military, but her and Alex are basically estranged for deep family history reasons that, of course, play into the book in in deep and meaningful ways. Um, When I created her initially, I intended her to basically be a foil for Alex, a way to bring out Alex's personality traits, her recalcitrance and rebelliousness and that type of thing. Um, And Miriam had other ideas, honestly. And by the third book in the series, she is easily the third most important book in the series. And as it goes on, over half of the amazing 
things that humanity manages to pull out of its butt would never happen if not for her. There would be no series without Miriam. Um, and I honestly never saw it coming. Nice. nice. Those are the best kind of surprises. Yeah. Really are. They, they really I, are. I love it when the characters just decide to screw with the author and do something. Yeah. Take on a life of their own. They're like, yes. no, we're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and look at the outline and say, oh, that's cute. We're going to go to this other thing instead. <laughs> Uh, is that one coming out the nose? Oh. All right, Nick. Let's keep this moving. We don't <laughs> right. want to mock her too badly. We don't want her to hate us. No, I, I get two mocks in for incident. I know the rules. Does your story have any uh, bad guys for the main character uh, to confront? Uh, obviously, don't give any spoilers away. Um, absolutely, yes. Um, I will say in sci-fi generally – there's often the problem when the bad guys are aliens, they often are nameless, faceless, often without obvious motivations. Um, and it's difficult to write compelling, you know, villainy in that respect. And I've struggled with that in several of my, you know, as the, of the story arcs. Um, but in Aurora Rising, in the first trilogy in particular, though, luckily we also have some very real flesh and blood alien um, enemies. There is a conspiracy amongst some people, and this isn't really spoilery. You've learned this pretty early on, um, <clears throat> between some high-level officials in the government, in business, and in a powerful criminal cartel. And those we get to see up close and personal. There are multiple point-of-view chapters from their perspectives. Um, and hopefully, I mean, I think that adds a lot. And, and I will have to say, you know, without a spoiler, um, one character, Olivia Montagru, who is the leader of the largest criminal cartel in the galaxy, is far and away the best villain I have ever written. This woman is stone cold terrifying. Nice. I like those. <laughs> I like those types of characters. Um, speaking of characters, um, if you ever met any of your characters in a back alley, how would they treat you after the hell you put them through? How do you see that interaction play it out? <laughs> uh, you know, on, writers love to joke about that kind of thing and the hell that they put their characters through, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think Alex would thank me for putting her in a position to be able to do something, to beat the bad guys, to save the day, to, you know, damn the torpedoes and, and get shit done. Because um, that's what she is. She is a doer. She's an actor. Um and I mean, I really feel like she would have done it without me, you know, one way or the other, regardless. Um, so I don't think that she would be mad at me. Um, Miriam might be mad at me because she really she is long suffering. Um, no question uh, throughout the series. And she would be. Can I just get a break, please? So. <laughs> you got to have that one character that you just just run through the ringer and like you could almost see him if they were breaking the fourth wall. Like, dude, <laughs> come on. And I, and I do. Uh, Aaron does not appear until later in the series, uh, book seven. Um, or he's also in the Regenesis short story before that. Um, he is one of my very favorite characters. He is awesome to write and such a riot. And I am, I, that is the one character I think probably more than all those that I am truly horrible to. Um, and I feel bad about it on one hand, but on the other hand, he, he's he's just so awesome, and it's it's fun. So sorry, not sorry. It's for their own good. It's how they grow. That's right. It's how they grow. 
All right, so let, let's let's kind of get a little sneak peek here on how the sausage is made. Uh, were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut from the final book that you want to find a way to use somewhere down the line? Or um, have you? Yeah, well, I, I always try and repurpose stuff. Um, in the most recent book, I had to cut several scenes because so there's a you know big mystery underlying what's going on, and I was giving away too much too fast. So I had to cut, but I'm absolutely going to use those in the next book when, okay, it's time and appropriate to nice. do. Um, but um, way back in Starshine, I did have a couple. Um, I had a great scene early on that um, was Caleb going to his apartment before the big events start happening. Um, and somehow we never, ever actually get to see his apartment again in the entire series. Um, so, but, you know, but I cut it for reasons. Um, but so the fifth anniversary of Starshine, I did an special annotated hardback version of the book. It has like 220 annotations, my thoughts, little funny stories about scenes and characters and that type of thing. Um, and I also included some appendices that had those cut scenes in it. Um, oh. also, so readers could get to see it after the fact now. That's pretty cool. I like that. That's a neat way of doing it. It was, it was a lot. I don't of think I've ever seen that before. Like a like like a behind the scenes of a yep. book. Like you see it in movies all the time, or like yeah, DVDs, annotations but... in the text, footnotes, basically. You know, this is you know was the original intent for this character, but it went a different way. Or this is you know a funny thing about when I was writing this scene, this interaction, and that type of thing. It was really neat to do. Yeah, I'm your fan base because I I'm a sucker for those behind the scenes like extended cuts of certain scenes or just straight up deleted scenes. I'll, I'll movies that I've seen a hundred times. As soon as I get those options, I'll watch that before I watch the movie. So you mentioned that this was a, uh, was the fifth year anniversary. So is that still available for sale or was that a limited time option? It is available for sale exclusively on my website. So oh, okay. if you go to gsjensen.com slash store, then you'll see an entry for Starshine fifth anniversary annotated hardback. But that's the only place you can get it. I like that. That's a neat way of doing it. So, you know, um, when you were doing that, did you find yourself surprised at all by any of the scenes that you'd written? Because obviously you're going back and rereading book one five years later. When you did that, were you like, oh, crap, I wrote that? Oh, that's pretty cool. What did I come up with that? Like, did any of that come out at you? There were a couple of cringe moments, honestly. Um, but I was honest about them. I put that in footnotes. You know, if I was writing this today, I would not have written this this way. I wouldn't have used this word. Uh, and looking back on it, I, I realized that I, I was, you know, being dumb or callous or insensitive or, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> you know, maybe I would have done this a different way. And that type of thing. Um, and, and I probably would have done it a different way, but it's out there in the world now. You know, you, you can't change it. So I tried to be honest about that kind of thing. No, I think that's great. And we, it's also, cool. you know, we grow as individuals in what we're doing. If we didn't, well, the world would be a very boring place. <laughs> um, and, no, and most people wouldn't want to read about our lives. And nobody that's wants true. to read about your life, Nick. It's okay. <laughs> really? Hers, maybe, but not yours. Um, <laughs> too much of your life would be redacted. Um, oh, yeah, so, that's true. Um, a lot of times we like to ask about the world because in these universes, in these books, type of books, the universe is as much a protagonist. So 
you've talked about some of the tech you've made, but like, do you have anti-gravity? Do not have anti-gravity. Do have artificial gravity. Okay. Plates, not what we don't have to spin the ships or anything. Yep. Awesome. I love anti-gravity. Um, but what tech would you want to keep out of this? If you could say G GS, you get to one thing, what's it going to be? Well, I mean, in, in the larger sense, I mean, I want, home to Montana? Yeah, I, I want FTL drives. I, I, I am not satisfied with the fact that it's going to take us 100 years just to reach Alpha Centauri. Um, you know, I want to be there in, in a day or a week. Um, I don't think anybody else, by the way, for the record, is satisfied with that 100 year time. Right. Period. That um, is I, not a road trip worth doing. I don't care if it's warp bubbles or wormholes or hyperspace, but we have got to get past the speed of light limitation for serious. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, a more mundane level, probably the coolest thing that I have in the books and is used a lot in there is uh, it's called pulsing, but it's basically mental text messaging. So, you know, in your head, you think you send messages to whomever, and, you know, nobody else has to know. You're sitting there at a boring business dinner. Nobody knows that you're actually having this whole conversation, you know, with your best friend about, you know, the movie that they went to see or whatever, or you're surfing the web in your head um, while other boring stuff is going on. That would be useful. So with the tech that you invented, did you also come up with like terraforming so that, or are they stuck with just the planets that are habitable? That was Nick's idea, so I'm asking it. I steal the questions. You just stole his idea, too. Yeah, but he gave me credit, so I'll allow it. I'll allow it. He gave me credit. In the first nine books, in the Aurora Rhapsody books, um, we do not yet do terraforming. Um, I think we probably know how, but it will take thousands of years, and we've only been colonizing planets for about 150 um, the good news is space is really big and there, as we all know now, you know, there are lots and lots of exoplanets out there. And so I'm betting that we could find, in this case, about a hundred in this third of the Milky Way, basically, our third of it, um, that were compatible with human life. Okay. So, so do you have any do, genetic engineering going on? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody, yeah. Genetic engineering in the womb you know, at, at birth when you're young and then tweaking as you get older. Um, again, at the beginning, Starshine, people are living 150 to 200 years. Um, they got cybernetics. They've got gene therapy. Um, they can all be beautiful if they want to and whatever, whatever that means for them. I mean, there's still variety because that means something different for everybody. So we know this is part of a series because it says so on Amazon and you told us so when we started talking uh, in the main series, there are 18 books listed, but is their story done? What do you think is next for these characters? Now, um, number 18 is on pre-order. It's not out yet, but um, so like I said, I just published book four of, of Riven, Riven, yeah, excuse me, in Riven Worlds of six. Um, I typically publish a book about every six to seven months. So that's timeline. My readers have gotten pretty, you know, reliable in counting on that. Um, so after Riven Worlds is done, I am planning on a trilogy of sort of standalone stories. They'll it'll be in the universe and there'll be existing characters, but I want them to stand on their own. So they will be new entry points for people. 
to hopefully come and find the series and the characters and fall in love with them and then go back and start at the beginning. Um, after that, I have a plan for a new, one more major six book series. That, that's the big epic space opera involving all of the characters and, you know, a dire threat to life as we know it. Um, now that series will have a big end. Um, not an end in which everybody dies and not an end that forecloses anything else being written in this universe. Um, but that will be the culmination of a really, really, really long story arc. Um, and so I'm not sure what I'm going to do after that. I'll definitely keep writing books, maybe in the same universe, maybe in the same universe, but, you know, halfway across, you know, the stellar, the uh, supercluster with completely new characters and that type of thing, or maybe something entirely new. So you mentioned that the, one of the things that humanity wanted to solve for was the long travel times. So did you incorporate cryo freezing for, uh, for like long interstellar travel or did you just get around it with the FTL? Just got around it with the FTL um, and later wormholes as well, um, which is even faster. But um, <clears throat> yeah, the FTL drives are pretty fast, but by the time this story starts, um, so no, we have not had to do cryo freezing, and and we haven't really ventured beyond, yeah, like I said, about our third of the Milky Way whenever the story starts. So that's all within reach within a couple of weeks of travel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, uh, Nick, did you have any more questions about the tech before we move on? No, no. Um, it's all <laughs> it's all cool stuff, and wish I had it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Uh, I love all the right, tech. so. The alien questions, Nick, because we know we sometimes question whether you're from Earth. He's I'm not. not. I'm from, uh, well, I can't tell you. It's red acting. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I guess we're on 35, right? Correct. Doc jumped all, all around. Right. We, had to, we had to fix her ADHD. <laughs> no, that, that that's perfect. Hey, you know, how you know what? My ADHD is gorgeous. She's just it annoying. Is. It has a long flowing cape with sparkles. <laughs> I do I not do crafting glitter herpes. Ouch. Ouch. I do. All right. Nick, uh, save her from herself. Here we go. Uh, wow. How do you go about creating uh, the aliens uh, and creatures that we know they're there? Um, are they inspired by nightmares, daydreams, bath salts, uh, nature? How do you go about creating the extraterrestrial? D&D uh, &D monster manuals, actually. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Not only. Um, I mean, I, like, I have an alien species in the Aurora Renegades trilogy that was inspired by um, a book and video game called Below the Root. Um, so, you know, that that's particular. Um, got a, a sentient, almost dolphin-like species, which obviously inspired by dolphins who are really intelligent. Um, video games, definitely full of inspiration. But um, most of all, D&D &D monster manuals. So, I mean, can't, so can't right, that creativity. Um, so do you buy into the uh, aliens in order to develop tech have to have the opposable thumbs? Because you did mention dolphins as one of your aliens. Yeah. I don't think they have to have opposable thumbs to be intelligent, but um, it, it does create some, you know, interesting challenges for they are handy. for building things. You know, I mean, 
my 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 dolphin-ish aliens build cities out of coral you know and other things that are under the water um and they've got some hydrothermal technology they're using for the gas vents that are on the seafloor and that type of thing so they they get creative but they don't have skyscrapers you know um they do have they do have little motorboats basically that, that they fit into um so they have found ways around it but i'm not sure and it hasn't come up yet how would they live you know outside the water out in the larger galactic community and that type of thing um that is a challenge and i would imagine that their ship physics for them would be slightly altered if their whole ship has to be full of water for them right. to be able to live in it that's an interesting concept. Yeah. And now I'm thinking about the flipper theme song. So we're going to move on because that would be awkward <laughs> if I tried to sing it. All no right. singing. Your singing sucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some theory is that when you have a long running show, at some point in time, you have to do a musical episode. You know, not happening. <laughs> Just All right. No. So, so, you know, clearly we're the not no, no, we're not. And it's probably a good thing. Uh, so as this interview is winding down, um, G.S. Jensen, was there anything about uh, Starshine, Aurora Rising, or the Amaranth series that you wanted to tell us that we did not ask? Oh, goodness. There's, um, I could talk about this all day. It is my life. But um, no, uh, readers come in all shapes and sizes. And so they should definitely know that these books are available in all of the formats. Um, most of my sales are ebooks, but... Um, it's also they're available in all the ebooks. You can read it on your Nook or your Kobo device or in Apple Books. It's not just Amazon. Um, they're also in paperbacks. And um, I am now starting to roll out hardbacks as well. Um, but perhaps more importantly than all of that, they're available in audiobooks. Audiobook listeners are crazy about their audiobooks. Um, and I have the most amazing narrator in the universe at this point. She knows the characters as good as I do. And I don't know what I would ever happen if what would happen if she ever fired me. I, I don't know what I would do, and I don't know what my listeners would do either, um, because they love her so much. I love um, how you put that that she would have to she fire, fire me. Oh, absolutely, because I'm certainly not firing her. Um, so, whatever way you take your books, um, you can find not just Starshine, but all of the books that way. That has me so happy. <laughs> All right. So uh, one of the things, the formats we have questioned periodically is people are curious about um, the, the larger print sizes that they sometimes would do for, for more mature, more seasoned readers. Do you have the, I do that not, sizing of the I print? I do not yet have any large print. No. Um, once I get it, them all rolled out in hardback at that point, then it's not that much more work to then do a large print version of the hardback, of course. Um, and luckily on your Kindle or your, whatever your e-reader device is, you know, you no. can get that font pretty big. Yeah. That's more geared just to the paperback only readers. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I just figured I'd ask if you said it was in all the formats, which yeah, okay, it's, it, it's not moment. yet in large print. No. Doc in her nook. All right. I so, love my nook. Be nice to her. <laughs> did you name it? We're not talking. You did, about didn't you? Oh, my Lord. It has a name. It has a name. All right. So before we let you go, dear listener, uh, we'd like to remind you that your thoughts matter. Uh, so please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And rumor has it when an author gets a hundred reviews, they get a unicorn. And I, for one, would like to know what a unicorn steak tastes like. So uh, how, how would you cook yours, uh, G.S. Jensen? If you could have the unicorn steak, how would you cook it? I would not cook 
cook my unicorn, I would pet it and, and love it and, it and call it Joe. Because oh, <laughs> it's so fluffy. <laughs> All right. Peter, what color unicorn do you want? <laughs> All right. So uh, as we wrap this up, how can listeners find you? Um, my website is gsjensen.com, just like it's spelled on the book cover there. Um, and there is a ton of information there about the books. There are, um, oh, something else we didn't talk about. There are a bunch of extras on the website. There are galaxy maps. There are timelines. There are oh, I love those things. There are interviews with the characters that are super fun. Um, tons of great stuff on the website. Um, I love I am, those things. I am on Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash gsjensen.author. Um, I am on Twitter at gsjensen. Same thing on Instagram at GS Jensen. Same thing on Pinterest and Tumblr. Um, let's see, is there anywhere else? Maybe. Um, but most of the action is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And 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 I'm super active on there. My reader, we have a lot of readers there. We talk about sci-fi stuff. We talk about science, um, science stuff. All the space missions, SpaceX. You know the the NASA missions and everything like that. So you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. Uh, as usual, Doc is mocking me when I read these out. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We promise we even answer the letters. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades again our website anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can also support the show on buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley one more time for the people in the back buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast and i promise i will keep my intrepid co-hosts nick garber and doc seska duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender never give up there we go all right before we let doc bring it home because i know she's going to try to outwit me on this one how do you feel about pineapple on pizza i'm i'm good with that Yes! How do they keep coming? Like, Doc, are you setting this up? <laughs> I'm going to start screening the guests better. No. She, she, started, uh, she, she secretly started the pineapple and pizza cult. They meet Wednesdays. <laughs> that's why, we, right, you know, that's the one night we don't schedule a podcast. That would be why. And by me, I mean all makes M-E-A-T. Sense. The ham. <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the boys who are actually here, Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley, I'm Seska. This was a Blasters and Blades podcast. Be back next week where J.R. learns about more pineapple on pizza. We indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom, and of course, amazing literature. All right, Nick, you got any parting words since this is like might be the last time we see you for another quarter? Oh my god! Day no. job? No. Jared, um, his season, his his season two, um, goal is to be on more often than that. I know it's not his fault that the it's government. It's season two re- re- resolution. I can say this word. So, so Doc, doing, you don't I, have I was security. doing important work. 
you don't have security clearance to know this, Doc, but he actually is stationed on the, the secret lunar colony on the dark side of the moon. Oh, wait, yeah, did I say that? background. I'm jealous. Yeah. I want to join Space Wars when he says wait, things wait, like what that. What are those helicopters it is doing? So 